Like, I'm so happy I failed in that moment. You know, even at the time I was gutted. I, was I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves. Like, you have to have a side hustle. You see everyone around you like doing something, being successful. I think I wanted any job at a magazine. I was like, I will be the, you know, male girl. So, you know, for me, I was like getting that job was, you know, the pit. it really was the pinnacle of my career. To whom it may concern. Welcome to the podcast, Internet Friends. This is your guide to navigating career milestones and moments of failure as you climb your way to the top, however you define them. What's up, guys? This is your host, Maddie, and I'm so excited to bring you another interesting conversation today. But before I do, I really wanted to just give a big shout out to everyone who's left a comment or sent me a DM since launching the podcast. Honestly, it means so much to hear all of the positive feedback that I've had. So if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please do consider subscribing and rating the podcast and together we can learn how to better navigate our careers. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest because she has what I probably would have considered growing up the ultimate dream job in fashion. As a fellow expat, she's experienced life across multiple continents, having grown up in South America, briefly lived in Sweden, and spent the majority of her adult life here in London, where she works as a fashion and tech journalist. She is currently the digital editor at Hello Fashion, but her career boasts a really impressive list of prestigious publications. So everything from Unilad, Evening Standard, Harper's Bazaar, and Vogue. But while her job might seem like the ultimate dream role, with invitations to exclusive press events like the Chanel Fashion Show or Dinners with Cartier, there's a lot more that goes on behind this Instagram-worthy career. Publishing and fashion is one of the most competitive industries to work in. The roles are limited and the shape of the industry has changed so much over the past 10 years. So she's going to give us an insight into the truth behind the myths and how much determination, resilience and passion it really takes to make it. But that is not all. Natalie's passion goes beyond the glamorous side of the industry, and she's created a community called The Modems, where it's a go-to source for fashion and tech with stories really presented in a way hyper-relevant to women. So, Natalie Salmon, welcome to To Whom It May Concern. So nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. Very excited to kick off in today's conversation. And what I wanted to do is start in maybe a slightly more vulnerable place and that's talking about failure. And I know like for a lot of people, it's a topic they tend to shy away from discussing, but you know, in an industry like yours, which is ever changing and super competitive, um, mistakes and rejection and failures can sometimes be like slightly unavoidable. So I love to kick off and just get your perspective on how you embrace these challenging setbacks and how do you cultivate like a mindset around failure that helps you progress forward? It's funny because I remember like my first big failure. It was after university. I just graduated politics. I think it was like around um, the financial crisis, the first one. Mm. <laughs> and um, I applied for a job at Condé Nast. I applied for a sales role, um, like selling advertising. And three of my friends got the job. Oh, wow. And I did not. And I remember feeling like the biggest failure in the world. I was literally like, oh my gosh, like, all of my peers have been able to get this job and like, I haven't. And I remember just feeling like, oh my gosh, I've been rejected. Like they keep those CVs in a bank and I'm never gonna get yeah, I'm a job there ever one. again. And then fast forward, you know, a few years, you know, many years later, I was, you know, digital editor, um, one of their publications. So for two years I was digital editor at Vogue Scandinavia. And it's just so funny, had I, had I actually got that job, 
I would have sales and sell, stayed in sales and advertising, which is obviously great if that's what you want to do. But I wanted to go into the editorial side. Mm. So that would have actually completely changed the course of my career in a way that, you know, I wouldn't have been happy with. So I always like say to people, I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it's such a cliche, but everything happens for a reason. Like, I'm so happy I failed in that moment. You know, even at the time I was gutted. I was like, maybe like 21 and I was like, this is the end of my life, you know? <laughs> Cause I'd been so excited to get into the building. I would have been so excited to get the first interview. And I, I don't even think I got to the, you know, second round of interviewing. And I was like, what's wrong with me? So, you know, I think be adaptable and also like, don't give up. You know, had I just give, given up and just been like, okay, well, obviously, you know, I'm not good enough for this industry. I think I wanted any job at a magazine. I was just like, I will be the, you know, male girl at this magazine. <laughs> I just need to get in, you mm. know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. No, definitely. I think it just goes to show like, you just need to trust the process sometimes. Trust the process. You will be in the right place at the right time. And I think everybody has somewhat of a story like that at, at some point in their career. That's like that sliding door moment where you're like, had it have been something else or a different yeah. pathway, it might not be where I am today. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your career kind of more holistically. I know you originally started out um, in a different place to where you are now, not even in sales, um, mm -hmm. in something else. Earlier in your career, you're in social, mm -hmm. but now you're actually a digital editor, which for those of you who might not know and don't tell me if I butcher this, but it's a bit more of a journalism role. You're kind of writing um, content for the online um, platforms. A lot of people struggle with that moment in their career when they decide suddenly that they want to pivot. So whether that's finding a new role in the same company, in a different industry, a completely different job altogether, I would love for you to share a little bit about kind of where you started off in social and how you were able to make that transition into a more journalist-focused role. Yeah, so actually it's a, really, it's a really good one because it was really difficult to, to kind of make the change. Um, essentially what happened was after uni, I decided that I wanted to go into journalism and I did a master's at City University in broadcast journalism. So, which is more like TV and radio. And then again, <laughs> um, you know, I found it really hard to like find employment. And at the time I really enjoyed on my master's, there was um, a lot of like digital journalism courses. And I mean, like, like everyone else, I've like had like three blogs, like growing up fashion <laughs> blogs. We all had a fashion blog. We all had up. a fashion blog. <laughs> and um, anyways, long story short, the kind of first real role in magazines I got was social media editor at Evening Standard magazine. And that was great because it was like, you know, at the time, most magazines hadn't even, didn't even have a social media editor. Nobody really knew what it was or, you know, and I kind of was like, oh, I know I'm good at this, but, or I know I can do this, but I probably didn't even really know, you know, the breadth of, you know, what needed to happen, but I really threw myself into that. But then fast forward a couple of years, I knew that I wanted to go more into the writing side of things, more into the, like I said, editorial side of things. And I found that actually being a social media editor, as great a job as it is, you know, you don't get to do that much writing. Mm. You're more focused on, you know, growing a brand's you know, community, so yeah. community, social platforms. Posting those reels. Posting those, <laughs> yeah, posting those. At the time it was like Facebook was the biggest one, yeah. which is crazy now that I think about it. At the time it was all about Facebook and Instagram. Anyways, then I got uh, the job at Harper's Bazaar and I'm a social media editor at Harper's Bazaar. And again, you know, I realized I really wanted to do more writing um, and I was very lucky. Um, I had two very amazing supportive bosses, uh, Sarah Kamali, who's digital editor at Harper's and still is, and Justine Picardi, who at the time was editor in chief. 
And, you know, I was super into writing about tech and I just pitched them the idea of, you know, I would love to do more writing around technology. And at the time, um, Harper's didn't actually have a space in print for, for tech. So they kind of, you know, let me start writing about tech online. Um, so there was like a column to call tech accessories. So I'd update that like <laughs> weekly. Um, and I was just so happy to have a byline. I was so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like. You've made that, it. <laughs> I've made it. And that was kind of the start of being like, okay, I can do this, getting more writing, did a lot of that, did it for print as well. Um, and then when I, you know, decided to move to Sweden, I applied for the role of digital editor at Vogue Scandinavia um, and made the transition. But I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not had any writing experience. Um, so I'd say, you know, that was a huge pivot in my career because it went from just, you know, doing the social media channels and a bit of writing to like really taking ownership of, you know, all of the output, mm. all of the digital output. And I feel like social media gave me a huge kind of understanding of what it takes to run a website and run multiple platforms. Um, but yeah, that's how it was. I just pretty much, you know, begged, <laughs> yeah. begged um, to start writing. Yeah, I guess it's like proving the value that you have in that like shift, whether it's like in writing or another industry, proving yourself before you can kind of get to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. But I think, yeah, I had very, very supportive uh, people around me and, you know, I felt very, you know, I felt very like safe or, you know, I felt very, yeah, empowered. Um, and it was a great team. I really enjoyed working. Which there. kind of brings me on to the thing that I wanted to chat about next, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you work in fashion, but not only that, fashion journalism. And for many people, this is a dream job for working yeah. for publications like you have, like Harper's Bazaar or Vogue, especially for those that are super passionate about fashion. But there's plenty of portrayals of the industry in media where we see the working environment as kind of less than desirable. You know, movies like Devil Wears Prada, as an example, obviously yeah. painted super toxic and highly competitive where women are kind of climbing over the top of each other to get the job. What is there any truth in that kind of number one? Like what's been your experience working in an industry like this? It's so funny because I haven't experienced, and this isn't just like a, a PR answer. Like I really haven't experienced that at all. Like I had really great bosses and great teams and like people who are like super uplifting and like at Vogue Scandinavia, you know, like Martina, I always call her like my, who's the editor in chief of Vogue Scandinavia. She's like a second mom. Mm. You know, when I was going through, you know, some really like, difficult times in my life she was like you know super understanding super kind um I'll say the only thing that's like it actually has in common with that film is people do get dressed up for work <laughs> <laughs> and actually I have had some bosses where I'm like oh gosh I need to like kick off my trainers I should put heels on oh my gosh and Martina comes to mind like you always wanted to look good for her um but yeah no I've actually found like I've made some of my best friends in this industry you know, my first job at Evening Standard, um, I worked with um, Lily Worcester, who's now beauty editor at Tatler, which is like, you know, one of my best friends. So like, we still meet up with people from, I still meet up with people from my old teams. Like I still go for like coffees and drinks with people from Evening Standard. I still, you know, I had two of like my friends from um, Vogue Scandinavia, they were in London for a shoot and we all went out for drinks. Like, you see each other, like it's really friendly I don't know where yeah this comes from. I love I love that that is the truth behind I, your experience though I mean seriously like I I've loved it like I've made such close friends in the industry like 
I don't know. I've felt like, you know, I'm, I feel so lucky to have this job because it was my dream job growing up. Like if you told me age 15, oh, you'll work at a fashion magazine one day, I, I wouldn't have believed you because, you know, I just didn't think I didn't have any like family or I didn't know anyone in the industry. I thought you had to know someone. Mm. And, you know, I, I was like the typical like 15 year old with like, oh, all the pictures on my wall. <laughs> the collage like, of the ripped the out magazines. Yeah, ripped yeah. out magazines on my wall. Like, but I just never there. thought it was a, a mm. career option. So I guess how has like the value of building that network really enabled you to like go between roles and, and succeed in this industry then? And like, what's your advice to people in, who aren't maybe as confident putting themselves out there? I know we've talked about it in the past, like mm -hmm. you're an expat, I'm an expat. We're kind of naturally better at like putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations and making new friends or colleagues or whatever it is. Yeah. Like how have you navigated like networking in your experience? Oh, well, I think networking is super important. And I mean, when I, you know, when I uh, needed to move back to the UK, my network were the people who got me in touch um, with the publishing editor at um, Hello Fashion. To, you know, that's how I got my job was through my network. I mean, everyone, everyone you meet at different events, you know, I used to go in and not really realize I just, I always like making friends. Like, I think I'm like a Leo. I'm a really like, yeah. <laughs> I like, you know, some people recharge their social batteries. Oh, mine like, is like with people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some people recharge their social batteries by like staying in. I recharge my social batteries by like going out and seeing like 10 friends for dinner. 100%. You know, so I, I really enjoyed the social aspect of my job, especially at the beginning. Mm. Now I'm getting a bit like old and tired, but, <laughs> but yeah, like the networking, it's such a thing. And it's also like, you know, every single person you meet, you know, you don't know where they're going to be in a couple of years, you know, every, and also this is a really small industry. So everyone knows each other. And like these people are, you know, your allies, they'll be your like best friends. Um, and also, you know, I, I say it even like there's two girls on my team now and I'm like, go out, make friends, make friends with the other magazine editors, make friends with the other journalists, like just go and make friends with as many people as possible when you go to an event because it's just so important. Mm. And also I think there's been a huge shift of like, you know, the whole breaking the glass ceiling thing, it's transitioned into like women, uplifting women. Like I find that everyone I've worked with at least is super supportive. They want to see you succeed. Like people want to help each other out. Like I've got like two WhatsApp groups. One is called Female Founders, um, which was set up by Daisy Natchbull, who is the founder of The Deck. And it's like 200 women and we all are in there and we just like text each other advice. Oh, I need a videographer. Does anybody know a good one? Yes, here's an amazing one. Oh, does anybody know where I can get a great studio for this? Does anybody know a great cocktail maker for an event? And literally like, you know, that's what I mean. This, this is a really supportive industry and especially, you know, it's a very female focused industry. I find people are, you know, the network that I have, I, I rely on all the time. Yeah. Well, they say your network is your net worth. So it yeah. really goes to show that that's true. I think like that really rings true in many industries, right? Like I obviously work in like tech marketing and we'll have worked at Facebook and it's obviously a huge company, but now everyone sadly has been maybe done it for most of their roles, but it means everybody has gone into different roles in different companies that eventually maybe you could get a job at that company, whether it's like TikTok or whatever in the tech industry. So I think I definitely am a big believer in like building those friendships and like continuing to keep up with them, especially when you're all working at a similar kind of level and you kind of go on to grow up into kind of big boy or girl roles. So, yeah. Um, I want to move on to Vogue. Mm -hmm. I know you've touched on a little bit. It's obviously like an incredible job. 
but you can't help to, if you look at your CV, you can't help but notice that you left Vogue Scandinavia at arguably a fairly important time for the brand. You know, they had only recently launched their first print edition with Greta Thunberg on the cover. Um, and I can only imagine achieving a role like this in your career was momentous, but also leaving a role like this would have left its mark on you um, as well. I know for myself, you know, being at Facebook, I would say was the peak in terms of companies that I could work for. And although the reason that I left wasn't my choice, it kind of left me with this sense of like moving on to a company that I maybe didn't picture myself working at was a hard adjustment to like mentally kind of change um, in my mind. I'd love for you to share more experience in terms of leaving Vogue um, and how you readjusted your expectations as you kind of moved on to your next role. So, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I think most people know this, but I, um, yeah, I was at Vogue for, you know, two years nearly. Um, so I was there for like the first nine months we were just setting it up. I mean, and that really was my dream job. I always just, you know, wanted to be digital editor at a magazine. Um, so, you know, for me, I was like getting that job was, you know, the pit, it really was the pinnacle of my career. I was like, wow. Like, you know, I, I remember pinching myself. I would go to like fashion weeks and all of a sudden I was sitting like, not front row, but like second <laughs> row, um, sometimes front row. And just being like, wow, like, I can't believe I've achieved this. And like, I really took stock of those moments. But because I was married and then, um, you know, we separated and that was the the decision was a completely personal one to move back to the UK. Um, so that was, you know, that was the reason for leaving. I We tried actually for the first couple of months, we tried to make it work where I would go to Sweden, a, you know, a couple of times per month, but it wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for the magazine either. You know, you really have to be present. You have to be in the office. Mm. Um, so anyways, it was a really difficult decision. And again, Martina, my, you know, former editor, she was so supportive, so kind. Um, everyone knew that it was like a really tough time personally. Um, so yeah, and I just kind of realized like, I've got to come back here where I've got friends, you know, like a, a support system, my sister I'm very close to. Um, so yeah, so that was the reason for leaving Vogue. Cause a lot of people ask the same question, like, why did you leave? You know, mm. it's Vogue, you don't leave Vogue. And, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, it, so it was a, it was definitely like per personal reasons were the thing that made me leave. But um, I was actually very, very happy and very lucky. Uh, one of my best friends who wrote a book on manifesting, uh, Roxy Nafuzi. She was the person in my network who was like, I've heard about this amazing job and it's digital editor. And that's the thing. Once you get to a certain point in your career, you know, I was just so relieved that there was a digital edit editor role mm, going in London. Limited. You know? I would imagine those roles are few they and far between, right? Very few and far between. They don't crop up very much. I was even considering going freelance when I moved back, you know, because I was like, wow, you know, I'm not going to get the same role. No way. You know, I won't get close to it. Um, so that was very lucky. And obviously in terms of transitioning, um, I found it, you know, I'd worked at Harper's, I'd worked at Vogue and I was kind of like, wow, this is such a chance to work at like a national magazine at such a high level and also like take something where they hadn't had a digital editor role before at Hello Fashion and take it and make it into something like new. And I think, you know, what's coming in the pipeline is really, really exciting. We've signed some like new contributors. So for me, I realized after going through such a huge personal change, um, I needed my feet under a desk and I needed to keep myself busy. And I would recommend that to anyone who goes through, um, you know, a divorce, you know, you've just got to throw yourself into something new. 
And so I really threw myself into that role. Um, but yeah, you know, luckily I still have a great relationship with my former team and, you know, they've been, they were incredible during that time. Yeah. I think like, it's really important to like, keep yourself grounded and like focus on what's right for you as a person, not just what's right for you in your career as well, especially when you're going through something as big of a life change as what you did. Like for me, redundancy, you know, you need to just be able to put one foot in front of the other and focus on finding the right job that's going to be right for you at this time and not, I guess, get too hung up on the fact that maybe this dream company that you've worked for is behind you. Because again, to your point earlier in the conversation, you never know what change is going to lead to another change or whatever it might be that puts you um, in a new position. Yeah. Um, I mentioned in the intro that you've built this incredible community called The Modems, which, you know, aims to contextualize tech and the tech world for women. And I think uh, I highly recommend it to everyone. I know I said to you earlier that I'd actually been following it for years before I even knew who you were, because um, I think it's a really great way to look at tech and fashion and style in a really educated way in the sense that it's everything from electric cars to sex toy brands. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know from you what the deeper ambition was behind starting this community. Like how much did the pressure of society telling us that we need to be having a side hustle, we need to be an entrepreneur, we need to build a business in order to be successful. How much of that notion played into the idea behind you wanting to create something of your own? Oh my gosh, it's it's a huge part of it. I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves. Like it's such a millennial thing. Like you have to have a side hustle. You see everyone around you like doing something, being successful. And there's been so many times where I'm like, can I not just like focus on, you know, one thing? But essentially the the reason I started the modems, well, it was like, it was twofold. One, I wanted to write. And at the time I was social media editor and I wasn't doing very much writing. And I thought this is a really good way for me to like show off like my portfolio and, you know, write like, you know, if I always think like, look, if something's not happening for you, you've got to make it happen, mm. right? And it was great because then I could prove like, hey, I can write, I can, you know, work freelance jobs. I have this whole website, you know, and I very much, you know, when I started it, people like, oh, it should be like a, like a blog about you and about all the tech stuff that you are interested in. I was like, I really don't want it to be a blog. I want it to be a web website. I want other people to contribute to it. I want, you know, it just to be a really informative place. Um, so part of it was just kind of like building my own platform, building my own like sort of writing credentials. And the other part of it was um, I'd seen a story and it was about women who were in a hospital, I think it was in North Wales, and they were given VR headsets during labor um, to like help calm them down. So it'd be like, you know, a scene of like a <laughs> calm meadow or something. Um, and they were testing it out. And I remember that this story, which I found so interesting, is obviously like, I'm interested in tech, but I always tell people I'm not an anorak. Like I don't mm. know everything there is to know. Um, but I find technology stories really interesting. Um, and a lot of my friends, who are like my peers, you know, they're girls that are like, oh, you know, they think they're not interested in tech, but I'm like, they've just never, I found that like the stories had never been presented to me in a way that I found was appealing. Um, so this story comes out and it was, you know, it was given a little bit of coverage in Daily Mail, like online tech section, a little bit of coverage on BBC, but a lot of the big tech sites, I don't want to call anyone out, but you know, <laughs> a lot of the big tech sites I visit every day, like, you know, Wired, The Verge, you know, I didn't really see stories like that on there. And I was like, all of my friends would find this interesting, not just the ones who are interested in tech news, but like all of my friends would find this an interesting story. Why isn't it getting more mm. coverage? And I literally said that to a friend. And uh, I was like, when, you know, I can't pitch this to my editor at Harper's Bazaar because, you know, I work at a fashion magazine. 
where does this story live, you know? And so I just thought, yeah, I really want to create somewhere where these stories can live and I can just keep updating. Also, my personal Instagram, I kept posting about tech and I was like, I think I'm starting to bore people. I need to, <laughs> I need to like make another account for this. But I do, I, need, I know that your point was more about the pressure to start a side hustle. I did feel that pressure. I still feel that pressure. I feel like, you know, oh gosh, I have to make this really successful because so many of my friends around me have these incredible side hustles. And yeah, I'd say there's, yeah, those are the factors at play. But I'm really glad that I have it because it's such an outlet. And every time I see an exciting story, I'm like, I go gaga for it. Like, okay, yesterday um, it was revealed that like Barbie Pink Oh my, my gosh, I saw that on your thing this morning. Yeah, yeah. so it was uh, revealed that National Geographic found that um, the color, that hue of Barbie pink might be the oldest color in the world. And that's more of a science story, not a technology story. But again, I was like, you know, if you present these stories in a way, and you know, it doesn't mean that like women need to like pink. That's not what I'm saying. But I was just like, oh, that's a fascinating story. Yeah, like, you that's... just contextual. I think you do a really nice job of contextualizing it to like our lives and what's happening in culture and that sort of thing, rather than it just being like, oh, here's an update about the latest thing that like Instagram's released or the latest thing on AI. It's like, yeah. how do you make this like relevant for women and, and your audience more yeah. broadly? Um, so it's no denying if you look at your Instagram that it feels very glitz and glamour, right? Like from attending Chanel fashion shows to lunches with Katia, it's seemingly that you're always attending these glamorous events, but I guess I want to know at what cost or what payoff this is. Like for me, I'm also in an industry where we have to often attend things after work as a part of our job. Mm -hmm. For example, this month I had a work trip to Paris, then Madrid. I had an influencer dinner, which I wasn't the influencer at, by the way, a premiere at the Oppenheim for the Oppenheimer, and then attended a live podcast show that we sponsored. Wow, you have a glamorous life. Which I know it sounds glamorous and, and and all of that. And like, honestly, if I compare it to my partner who works in construction, he would be lucky to get a free coffee in the office. Mm -hmm. But I think the point is like, it's exhausting. And it ends up taking so much extra time out of your personal life to go to these events to like build a network or build relationships or recognition. How do you balance your nine to five, all of the events that you attend and balance having a personal life and not letting it impact that? Um, it's a really good question. Actually, a couple of years ago, I made a rule, which was I am never missing a friend's wedding or a friend's birthday ever again. So that's like my hard rule. It doesn't matter if it's like a London Fashion Week. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, whatever it is, like I, I won't miss those key moments. And then another thing is, it's funny because a lot of these events, one, you know, they're advertisers and it's really important for the brand I work for or the magazine I work for, for me to uh, me or someone on the team to be at those events. Um, so it is a big part of the job. But also, you know, what people don't really realize is you'll go to something like, um, you know, a Lancome lunch or, or maybe a drinks after work. And I never stay longer than half an hour. Um, you know, I'll go in, I will, you know, say hi to the brands, like catch up with friends that are there. And then I'll go and, you know, see my my real, not real friends, but you know, my my friends outside of work. Um, and I think that, you know, at first I didn't have the balance, right? When I first started in this industry, I think because I enjoyed it so much and I was, you know, like a mouse in a cheese factory. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun and this is so exciting. And then you realize like, you know, my friends from university and people I really cared about, I wasn't getting to see them enough. So about, yeah, I think actually when I moved back to the UK, I was just like, you know what, my work and, you know, personal life have become so overlapped that I need to just take a step back and really prioritize, um, you know, personal 
life and having my own, carving my own life outside of work. But it's difficult when a lot of your friends work in the industry because, you know, you'll end up going to an event and you'll see like, you know, five of your close mm. buddies. Um, but yeah, no, recently I've just been like, okay, if I have a dinner with friends, I'll be like, okay, I'll try to make it work. Like a really good example is I was invited um, for like an overnight stay with a tech brand and you know the next day they had a series of panel talks and I just said the night before I had a dinner with like six close friends and it had been in our calendar for like two months Mm. and I really didn't want to miss the opportunity with this tech brand because it was a brand I hadn't worked with before and I was really excited to meet them and you know it would have been really useful for the modems um so I just said look I'm so sorry I've got this dinner um with friends it's been in the diary for a really long time would it be okay to leave 6 a.m arrive first thing in the morning and they were like yeah of course that's totally fine so I think you know that that's been the way I've tried to kind of keep the balance Mm, finding Um, the boundaries I think is really important exactly um but yeah I'd say that was you know and it's actually like improved my life a lot I've taken more time to you know kind of have a personal life yeah for sure (laughs) and I think that's a really good piece of advice like setting boundaries especially like as you get further in your career and you made some comment the other day to me like that you would have gone to the opening of a letter I think that's (laughs) so iconic um but yeah like just shifting your focus and and that point around realizing how important it is to invest in like your friendships and your relationships and everything else outside of work rather than only having this laser focus on what who do I need to meet how do I need to get there like who what am I trying to achieve I think having that balance is really important um, we're running out of time, but I wanted to end on a note where I kind of flipped the first question on its head a bit. And instead of talking about failure, we're talking about success. So growing up, you moved around a lot, different mm. cities across Europe, you've switched roles, you've switched industries, and no doubt what you deem as success has changed along the way. How have you let your ambition and definition of success lead you and help you progress throughout your career? Gosh. Okay. My definition of success, I mean, when I was younger, like any job at a magazine would have been success, right? So your expectation of what success success is changes so much because I was literally like, okay, I could just get a role at any magazine and I would feel like a huge success. And then you get that role and then you're looking, or at least if you're me, like I think I've literally got a problem and like my family say this all the time. They're like, why are you never happy? Just like be happy in what you're doing. Like mm. stop searching for the next thing because I'll, you know, I'll do something with the modems. I'll be like, okay, and now I have to launch this and now I have to do a podcast and now I have to, you know, like I think it's like definitely in my, it's probably something in my personality where I'm just like always looking to, you know, like capitalize or maximize like my last achievement I'm like oh I achieved that maybe I can achieve this next oh maybe I can do this I cannot resonate with that more (laughs) I mean like I'm literally like I'm digital editor I'm like what you know oh what's next now and it's like wait why don't I just enjoy this for a bit but I always feel like that and I think um yeah for me like the definition of success now I'm like okay how do I make more money how do I make enough money to you know set myself up for life what should I be investing in you know I love doing interviews with like um, entrepreneurs because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just find how they built a business. Like I'm a huge, huge fangirl for like Whitney Wolfhard. I'm a huge fangirl of what is it um, Emily Weiss did for Into the Gloss because I'm like, wow, they took like, you know, their websites or their ideas turned it into something massive. So like for me now, I'm like, you know, I was so flattered to be on the podcast because I'm like, wow, I don't feel successful enough to be on this 
podcast like subjective though isn't it's it? so subjective. anyone would look at your career and be like wow like look at all you've achieved all of the amazing places you've worked so yeah and it's so funny because I'm like well I'm not successful because I'm not running a billion dollar company and you know so I don't think I'm you know the role model to listen to because I think I'll just like you know I'll say things that'll make it more stressful but but that's a wholly authentic response right because like yeah. in that response you're saying like you're still comparing yourself to other people and I think that's like yeah. the journey of like redefining your definition of a success where you're not defining it by somebody else's standards it's actually about like your life and what you've experienced and what your goals are well that's a really good way of putting it but yeah I think my I think I'll always be looking for okay what's the next you know what's the next thing where do I take my career now you know before I even started a website I was like I could never do that and then I did it and I was like okay you know what do I do with that now that I've started it and like you know I feel very, very, you know, lucky that I've been able to work at some of the places I've worked. I've learned so much and also, you know, learned a lot about like what I can achieve. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been. It's an ever evolving journey. It's an it? ever evolving. And also because magazines change all the time and the, the industry is constantly changing. So, you know, the goalposts get like further and further, but it's really fun and it's exciting. Well. On that note, thank you so much, Natalie, for joining us. I really loved our conversation and learning more about the industry that maybe I dreamed to have joined when I was younger. Um, but thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for everyone for listening to today's episode of To Whom It May Concern with Natalie Salmon. If you want to hear more from her, I highly recommend checking out her community, The Modems. I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and rating the podcast and joining me on this journey as together we learn how to better navigate our careers. You can listen to the podcast in all of the usual places that you expect, but if you're like me and you prefer video content, you can catch up on YouTube. Join me on Instagram and TikTok at To Whom It May Concern Pod to stay up to date with episode releases, watch bonus content, and also join the conversation. Until next time, kind regards, Maddie Riley.